welcome everybody to this first audio, this podcast for As For Me In My House. Uh, this is Pastor Brent, and I'm here with my wife, Lauren. Lauren, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Yeah, and uh, just welcome. Uh, we're excited to have this time where we can focus on discipleship in our homes and together as one church. So you're with us here at our, at our kitchen table. Uh, you might hear some of the chairs squeaking. Uh, you may even hear some of the kids upstairs um, who we've asked to uh, keep the noise down. We'll see how that goes. But uh, we're glad that you could join us, and we're gonna we're gonna spend some time in our study, the one that you have been probably looking at the last few days, um, in the book of Philippians. We're calling the study "Finding Joy in Every Season," because that is what Philippians helps us with. So, if you want to. Um, have your Bibles open to Philippians and have your study page in front of you if you'd like to. Uh, you can maybe jot some notes down as we go along. Uh, this is our first time doing this, so we're going to see how it, how it all goes. But as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we first see um, who this letter is written from. We're going to take some time to look at that. And it says there in verse 1, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, you know, it was typical in the first century for a writer of a letter uh, to put his name first rather than last, as it's our custom today, isn't it, Lauren? Like, we put our name at the end. We sign off an email or a letter. Um, In those days, they did it first. And here it says that this is from Paul. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul. And really, you know, arguably, he is the greatest Christian that that maybe ever lived. Uh, we, We know his story in Scripture uh, he was a dynamic missionary, church planter, preacher, teacher, evangelist, pastor. Uh, I mean, you name it, Paul probably did it for the Lord. And uh, even being the author of, of 13 letters in our Bibles. So imagine you and your church getting a letter from, from this Paul. Well in, a, well, in a sense, we have, haven't we, Lauren? We, <laughs> all, of, all of Scripture, all of these letters... Um, have been preserved even for us in these these days, in our time, uh, preserved for us in Holy Scripture. Lauren, you were commenting with me a little earlier too about Paul and who he was and uh, how special it would be to get a letter from from this man. What were you saying again? Yeah, it's just an encouragement to see who this letter is from already. Lest anyone think that they are too far gone for the grace of God, just look at the author. Paul, who approved the murder of the first Christian. Paul, who made it his mission to spread terror among the followers of Christ. Paul, who was responsible for much of the persecution of the early church. He's just a reminder that the the vilest offender who truly believes can receive pardon from God. So he's a great encouragement that that nobody is beyond the reach of God. That's right. And so with Paul is also, it says, Timothy. Uh, Timothy was, of course, Paul's young companion. He was a partner in ministry. Uh, we see that Paul, all, all, you know, he wasn't he always doing ministry in partnership? Um, we're going to see right as we go along that he also was uh, partnering with Luke and, and Silas. Uh, but this letter is from Paul and Timothy. And uh, I think this can be an encouragement to us, a reminder that we all need and should have a partner in ministry. Uh, it could be a spouse. Um, <laughs> could be a friend, could be a roommate, but you know we all need somebody close to us, somebody alongside of us 
that we can serve the Lord with. It's meant to be done in, in tight-knit, close relationships. Uh, again, Lauren, uh, you had another great comment about, about Timothy. Yeah, he's an encouragement as well. He's an encouragement for all mothers and grandmothers out there that our work matters. You know, Timothy is the man that he was because of his mom and his grandma. They're actually named in 2 Timothy 1.5. So it's, it's because of the sincere faith of his mother and his grandma teaching him the scriptures and praying for him that made him the man of integrity and the man of faith that he was. So, yeah, it's an encouragement to all mothers and grandmothers out there. Yeah, really. And as, we, as we're all looking at this weekend being uh, Mother's Day on Sunday, uh, wow, you know, praise, praise the Lord for the ladies in our church, uh, the moms and the grandmothers who, who labor and who love and teach their, teach their children in the Lord, uh, even without support, as we saw is, was the case with Timothy and his family. And so um, just uh, what an encouragement. We just want to say thank you to all the moms and grandmothers who are an example and a model and how the, how the Lord can really use all that you are doing. Yeah, now we're going to we look at this question. What is notable about the way that the writers introduce themselves? And really, when we think about Paul's credentials, all that we've already seen, uh, it's notable that he introduces themselves as servants. In the Greek, the word is doulos, that means slave, which is actually to be lower than a servant. A servant had some personal possessions and rights, but a slave didn't. A slave simply belonged to his master, and Paul saw himself belonging exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ, which begs the question for us, um, is that is that how we see ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, is that how I view myself when, when I get up in the morning, when I show up, when I go to church, wherever it is I'm going, mm. do I go to serve or do I go to be served? So this speaks to who Paul and Timothy were and how they understood themselves, but it also speaks to who we are as followers of Jesus, that we, that we too are servants of, of Christ. Mm. Lauren, you were also sharing with me about this. Yeah, I, f- I found it interesting that we we usually sign our letters with our greatest accomplishments. You know, I remember when I owned my own personal training business that I would sign every email, Lauren Isley, degree in kinesiology, and I would list all my certifications. And this was a source of pride, which is not always a good thing. But Paul shows us a different way. You know, Paul was not proudly writing his attainments. Though he had many he could list, he was so humble. He modestly says, bond servant or slave which is amazing. It really sets the tone for this book, and it's a great perspective shift for us. I mean, I don't know about you, but being a servant like really rubs against my nature, against mm. my heart. It's easy to say that, mm. but to believe that and live that is a whole other thing. But uh, how helpful is it to remember that no one could have a more, a, a more benevolent master than the Lord Jesus Christ? Mm. When we pause and think about who he is and what he's, he has done for us, that he came, he lived, he died. Um, when we think of who Christ is and what he's done, it, it, it then really should become easy, right? Mm. To, or a lot easier to see ourselves as those servants of Christ. And what a privilege it is to be a servant of, of the Lord Jesus. So Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ, and so is every believer uh, in Christ. Well, now we turn our attention to who this letter is written to, 
And still in verse 1, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. This also speaks to who we are. Uh, That word saint is drawn from the word holy in the Greek. And it really refers to being set apart. It's interesting that Paul never says, you know, in all of his letters, uh, he actually never uses the term Christian. Um, But 40 times in his letters, he, he, he uses the term saints. And it's always in the plural. So every believer is a saint. And again, this means to be set apart. So we looked into this this week, and Lauren, why don't you start us off a little bit on, you know, let's understand what this means to be set apart. Yeah, I was just looking into what it means to be set apart from, and the first thing that came to mind for me was to be set apart from the world, that we shouldn't be indistinguishable from the world, that we should most definitely look different. You know, I just read in my devotions this morning in Romans that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. But that naturally happens uh, from being in the world unless we're very intentional about being transformed by the renewal of our minds. You know, this means that we should use great discernment in the movies we watch, in the TV shows, in the music listened to, how we speak, how we spend our time. Um, we should ask ourselves the question, is this stirring up our affections for the Lord or is it numbing them? I was also reflecting on James, a verse that talks about being unstained from the world. So I just found it important to, to watch over our hearts, to be set apart from the world, to watch over our hearts and to seek our greatest delight and satisfaction in Christ instead of the things of this world. Right, so they really, as we think about being set apart, there's really a, a negative and a positive. Mm. You, you just talked about the negative, like being set apart from the world, but there's also the positive, and that's to be set apart for, uh, for what? For well, for God, uh, for worship, for relationship uh, with Him. Uh, set apart to 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 build up His people. Uh, set apart to participate in His mission to make disciples. So we really are, as saints, those who are set apart from and for, from the world and for the Lord. Mm-hmm. But it's super important that we also see those next three words. It, it, Paul says, all the saints in Christ Jesus, those three words, in Christ Jesus. It's only being in Christ Jesus that you can be a saint. Um, we can't make ourselves saints, can we? No. Uh, it's not. It's not by what you do. It's not your goodness. Uh, it's not how not how much you serve. Uh, it is only the goodness of Christ and you being in Christ mm-hmm. that makes all the difference in the world. In Christ Jesus. And um, so, Lauren, you also were you had you had a little bit more to say too about that being in Christ Jesus. I know this was something that came up in your ladies' Bible study that was completed a little while ago. Yeah, there was a lot about union with Christ in John 15, that we are in Christ like branches are in the vine, that he is the source of life and that there is no life apart from him. You know, we're united to Christ by repentance and faith. And this union is not just saying a prayer for some fire insurance, that we are saved into a relationship. There's this beautiful relational reality And with that, we can remember that in Christ, we are completely safe. We are hidden in him. He represents us before the Father, and he covers our sin and our shame and our weakness. Um, There's this 
a wonderful verse in um, Second Corinthians. Yeah, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. I have it here. It says, "For our sake, for our sake, He that's God made Him that's Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." That's Second Corinthians five, twenty-one. Yeah, and that's just. A beautiful passage about this great exchange that happens when he takes our sins and we receive his righteousness and the Father sees us through the righteousness of Christ. So it's it's truly amazing. Yeah, I mean, so in our in that in our Bibles in Philippians one verse one, we might even want to underline that little word in. That little word is not so little. It's it's just so big. It means so much for us when we're in Christ Jesus. Um, all those things we just talked about are true, and it changes everything. And the reality is you're either in or you're out. There is, there's no middle ground. Uh, there's an eternity of difference. There's really only two categories in life, that you're either in Christ Jesus or not. And I want to trust that you at home are in Christ Jesus, that you have b- believed upon him, committed your life to him. Um, if you have not, I would urge you to do that today right now to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will become a saint and um, a saint uh, in Christ and as we've already reflected on then a servant of Christ. So in this greeting we learn a lot about our identity. We are servants of Christ and saints in Christ and really the first one is saints in Christ. When we become a saint in Christ we then also become a servant of Christ. Uh, Don't forget who you are this week. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, when we understand our identity, oh, the places that you will go. (laughs) And now we come to the setting. This is the third part on our handout, the setting of this letter. And this is the city of Philippi. Let's look a little bit of how this church began. Let's look at its background. Uh, In your notes, you already know that Philippi is located in Uh, modern-day Greece. It was a city of great privilege. Their architecture was great. Their education system was fantastic. Uh, They had fashionable clothing. It's probably the kind of city that most people want to live in. And it had a nickname called Little Rome. As great as the city was, though, Paul, it was not in his plans to to visit there. Uh, His desire was to go east, not west. But the Holy Spirit kept Paul and his companions from going the way he wanted to go and led them to the city of Philippi. Now, this is all in your Bibles in Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. And so, Lauren, maybe you can just like summarize a little bit of that for us. How did God call uh, Paul and his companions westward to Philippi? Sure. Yeah, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they tried to preach in the province of Asia but they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word there. So they traveled north and then they tried to go east again. And again, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So that very night, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man who begged him to come over to Macedonia and to help them. And maybe one thing we just learned from this is simply that, that God guides. Our Lord guides us. And he does that through both closed doors and open doors. Uh, he, you know, he will restrain and prompt us. He will prevent us and, and permit us. Uh, the Lord is leading our lives as we're seeking to follow him. 
Uh, he's in control, and he's guiding and leading and directing us. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, we need to just acknowledge like this happens through reading God's word. God has revealed his will for us um, in his written word in the Bible. So we want to follow the Lord just in the plain commands and teachings of scripture. This is how he guides us. But he does also, you know, prompt us by his Holy Spirit. He's also given us, you know, I hope mature believers around us to give us good counsel. Um, But we want to trust that we have a God who is guiding us and, and trying to direct us to the ministry um, of the gospel that he wants us to participate in. And that's exactly what Paul and his companions did. Uh, I want you to look down in your Bibles to verse 10 of chapter 16 in Acts. And and it simply just says that um, after all this happened, um, immediately, it says immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia. And uh, that word immediately is just really important. That, that is how God wants us to respond. When we know he has something for us to do, uh, immediately is to be our response. Well, we, um, in our handouts, we just we want to move on to Acts chapter 16, 11 through 15. And we see now what the experience was like in Philippi. And God did amazing things. Uh, Jesus' power and grace was transforming people as Paul and his companions were ministering. And we see this really in three portraits. The first is this lady uh, whose name is Lydia. In verse 14, we meet Lydia. She is certainly wealthy. She is a seller of purple goods. Uh, Those were expensive. They were often associated with royalty. She had a profitable business. And yet, what's so interesting about her is that despite her personal success... Uh, what we see is that she is still searching for more. Um, she's at this prayer, prayer meeting. Um, it says that she's a worshiper of God. Um, now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that she was a Christian at that point, but that she was seeking God. She had, uh, you know, she's really like a lot of people today um, who have some kind of, um, you know, aspect of God in their life, that they're religious, um, some kind of base understanding of God, um, but, but not a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. But she had, she had it all, right? She was successful. And we have so many Lydias where we live who uh, maybe have a nice car, a nice home, seem to have it all together, uh, but, but don't have what is most needed, don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. And she is seeking uh, for more in her life. Uh, we find that Paul and his companions find her at this kind of this prayer meeting. And, um, and, then, and then what happens? Lauren, maybe you can pick up the story here. Yeah, I love how it says that God opened up Lydia's heart. You know, the story reminds me of the power of God's word. It's in Paul's preaching to her that God opens up her heart to pay attention to what Paul's saying. And it just really shows God's power to transform a heart. You know, God's word is powerful. It is living and active, and it's a seed, and it will produce salvation and fruit if God wants it to. You know, it reminds me of Isaiah 55, that just as the rain and the snow fall down from heaven and they bring forth life, that God's word uh, will go out and it will not return void, but it will accomplish his purpose for which he sends it. You know, I love the story so much because I have... 
I've been a Lydia. I have experienced having my heart opened up to receive the gospel with joy and to have eyes to see the glory of Christ, eyes that never saw the glory of Christ before. And so it really is a supernatural work of God. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think we really need to believe that the Lord still does this kind of converting work mm-hmm. through through faithful messengers of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I need to believe that more and more. Um, I read a book the other day that just had this great statement. It, it simply said, your Lydia is waiting. And uh, we need to trust that when we share the word of God, God is at work in people's lives. Uh, your Lydia is waiting. Well, Lydia believes she is baptized in verse 15. She goes home and she shares the message with her household. Um, so notice that Lydia is right away on mission. She's serving. She's sharing the, she's sharing the gospel, that is, with those in her household. And, and that, again, is really the heart of this ministry, that we would share the word of God uh, in our homes with, with those who, who were, were within our homes. Um, but not only then do they believe and are baptized, but in verse 15, at the end of that verse, we see that she also shares her home with those missionaries, with Paul and his companions. So here now is this lady who is an example of, of generosity, uh, hospitality, ministry. Uh, she, she has become a saint, and she truly is a servant. And uh, once again, we just want to thank, thank the Lord for the ladies in our church. We have so many ladies who are dedicated to raising their families in the Lord, um, but also, again, here we just see this example to, to keep extending themselves in ministry, uh, to serve, to advance the, the cause of the gospel, uh, to, to be somebody of hospitality, to use your influence, to use your resources, whatever God has given you, to see the gospel go forth. And we see that in Lydia, and we thank the Lord for, for that happening in the, in the lives of the ladies in our church. But, you know, male or female... Uh, all of us, men and women, we all need to take this example. We all need to find our place in God's mission and join in the work. Well, we come to a second portrait of a life transformed. In Acts 16, 16 through 40, um, we see that Paul and Silas are going to be beaten and thrown into prison. And the reason that this has happened is because first there's another life transformed. And here is this slave girl. Um, who has a spirit of divination, and uh, she's been she's being used uh, to make a profit for others. Uh, Lydia made her own profit, but this this girl now she's being used to make a profit for her slave owners. And um, and and praise the Lord, uh, Paul and his companions, uh, when they get tired of this disturbance that she's making. Um, in the name of Jesus, uh, this, this gal is delivered. Mm-hmm. And we can presume that she became a follower of Jesus and had a new owner, the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but maybe worth noting the contrast again. Uh, there's Lydia in the previous story. She's a part of a quiet Bible study. And now there's this girl. She is a part of a dramatic deliverance. Uh, Lydia was a member of high standing. This girl was exploited and taken advantage of. Uh, Lydia was religious kind of in a way, but this girl was broken and in dark spirituality. Um, But the Lord is powerful to save anyone from any kind of background. Well, 
What we also see, though, is when the Lord is at work, um, there is opposition. And this is why Paul and Silas were attacked, beaten, and imprisoned. Uh, the, the former owners of this former slave girl, uh, they're not very happy. And so they come up with false charges uh, and have Paul and his people uh, beaten and jailed. They're dragged off and they're put in this prison. Lauren, maybe you can help tell the story from here. Yeah, you know, reflecting on this story, so much stood out to me. Uh, It's amazing the imagery that's used right here, that they were beaten, they were chained, they were thrown in prison, not even just prison, but the innermost prison. And that's not even enough. Their feet were shackled. And then the setting is at midnight. It just made me think, wow, this is the lowest of the low. This is the picture of the darkest, heaviest, most crushing, devastating moment a human can experience. This was the darkest part of the prison, bleeding and shackled. It just made me think of our own struggles, that we may never go to jail, but we we will have hardships and we will have pain and loss and we will go through suffering and we will feel like we are in a dark place. We will go through midnights of the soul and we will have a choice to make how will we respond in a time like this. So the next question was, what was their heart attitude in this cold, dark prison cell? And you know, I think I always misread this. I thought, of course, they're singing and praying. This is Paul and Silas, these amazing missionary men. And that's true, but there's something else going on here as well. I just pondered a different angle of this story, that perhaps they're not lifting their voices because it just overflows out of them every second of the day, but because they needed to remind themselves and one another of the promises of God. You know, perhaps the lashes on their body were so painful that it was a challenge to even stop thinking of the agony and to turn their eyes to God. But they did. They lifted their voice in struggle, in song, and prayer. In their midnight moment, they chose to sing praise. You know, we will all have midnight moments, but the question is, how will we respond? We need to remember in those times the power of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. You know, a follower of Christ doesn't, doesn't get us out of this dark night, but we, we can have the assurance that we will never have to walk through a dark night alone. In our midnight hour, it can be hard to remember the promises of God and to know the presence of God, and that's why we sing and pray to speak to our own souls about about the reality of our hope and our security and the love of God. And this is what ultimately will result in our joy. Yeah, this is a very practical piece for us, right? When we get into those really uh, dark and low places in Mm -hmm. life, those midnights of the souls, uh, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And here we see, like you were just commenting, that um, they were praying at and, and we all know we should pray, but they were also singing hymns to God. And mm. this just is a reminder of the, the ministry of music. Definitely. That, that music really is a ministry, not just to others, but to ourselves mm. and to our own souls. Um, that when, when we sing, um, and we need to choose to sing, right? We need to mm-hmm. find that God-centered, gospel-centered, um, biblically rich uh, music and when we have that in our lives, it refreshes and reorients our souls in ways that other kinds of instruction simply don't always do. 
singing, singing the truth of God helps us love God not only with our minds, but also with our hearts mm. and our souls and our strength, um, as we reflect there on Mark 12.30. And uh, even the book of Psalms, right? That whole mm. book is really uh, songs and, and prayers um, that, that would sing to edify your own soul. Mm. So let's be sure, everyone, to find good music, God-centered, biblically rich music, and and sing it. Let our ears hear it. Let our hearts absorb it. Find those timeless hymns, and uh, you can belt it out at home (laughs) because it's a safe place to do that. But uh, let's remember the ministry of music and how important that is to defeat the darkness Mm. in our lives. Well, then there's this another, another miraculous event that happens in the prison cell, verses 26 to 34. A third person is transformed by the gospel. Paul and his companions are in prison, and God shakes the earth with an earthquake. Their chains fall off, and their jailer panics. Paul could have fled to save his own life in that moment, but pauses to save the jailer's life. And this jailer asks the question, uh, What must I do to be saved? And uh, his question makes a lot of sense. He had probably seen this slave girl transformed. He'd probably seen the, 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 you know, the joyful witness of Paul and his companions in prison. And, um, and so he asked, what, what do I need to do to be saved? And simply they give this answer in verse 31. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you know, that really is what we need to keep telling people. Um, I know some of us are not, we don't know how to share the gospel. We feel intimidated mm. by it, but it's a very simple message. Mm. We don't need a PhD in theology. Our answer is simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And similar to Lydia, um, this man is converted. He goes back. He tells his household. They believe. They are baptized. And also like Lydia, this man jumps right into ministry, right into being a servant. Uh, He opens his home. He washes the wounds of Paul and his friends. He serves them a meal. And this is an evidence of a changed life. Um, Somebody who, a saint who is now a servant. And so, you know, what we also see is that though this man, as we, you know, as we pause and kind of look at all three of these portraits of who has been saved, Uh, This jailer was probably a blue-collar man. And uh, Lydia was probably a successful business lady. And then there was the the slave girl. And every one of them came from a different kind of background. And it just shows us that no one is beyond God's grace. Mm. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel. The Lord is saving a broad cross-section of sinners. And... um, And so we need to know that God's reach goes far and deep and wide. But let's also just take note of the unifying power of the gospel. That all kinds of people are saved into God's family. All kinds of people united in Christ who serve one another and who share a common mission. And I think we want to remember that in these days of isolation that this is still God's will for us to be connected as one people. Though we come from different backgrounds and are in different places, we really still are one church in Christ who need to serve one another in the Lord. So as we, um, as we look at this diverse community of faith, 
um, we just see the importance of the local church. That every believer, notice they all were added to the faith. Every believer is to be a functioning part of a church where the word of God is preached and the mission of God is happening. Mm -hmm. So, Lauren, as we come to a close almost here, let's just touch on a couple of these questions at the end, these bring-it-home questions. Given who Christ is, why is it a privilege rather than oppressive to be one of his bondservants? Lauren, what does that mean for you? You know, it's a, it's a great paradox. What I've experienced in my own life is that I've never been more free uh, than when I'm a slave to Christ. You know, all of us will be a slave or a servant to something, either um, a slave to sin that leads to death or a slave to righteousness, which leads to life and peace. You know, I've, I've been a slave to self. That's what I was before I became a Christian running hard after my own dreams and glory and ambitions. And the thing about it is it's, it's never satisfying. It's exhausting and it's actually quite oppressive. But when I came to know the Lord, um, to come to be a servant of Christ, I've never been filled with more joy, more satisfaction. And so it's, it's the greatest privilege in the world to be a servant of Christ. Well, thanks for sharing some of that testimony. And um, let's just look at one last question here. It says, a pandemic changes many things, but it can never change your identity in Christ. What could it look like right now for, and I'll ask you, Lauren, <laughs> what would it look like right now for you to be a servant of Christ in the following areas? So even in your home. Okay. Yeah. Being a stay at home mom and homeschool mother, you know, I feel like I'm serving all day long, cooking, cleaning, teaching, but it's really a perspective shift. For me, I need to remember who am I doing this for, and when I remember to to serve unto the Lord, to do it for Him, it really changes how I do things. So it's the perspective shift I I really need, and you know this is something we really want to teach our own kids. We have a morning checklist for our kids uh, for things to get done in the morning. So you know, make your bed, brush your teeth, uh, clean your rooms, and on it we have a little box that says how are you going to serve today or how, how I'll serve someone else today. And there's a box for them to fill that out. And our hope is just to teach our kids that by serving others, they, they really are serving the Lord. And then finally, where I'm just outside all the time with the kids watching them ride their bikes. And I have a great opportunity to meet neighbors from a distance. I, I see my neighbors more than I ever have before. And so just being intentional in our conversation getting to know them, remembering their names, and uh, remembering to pray for them. Just some gospel intentionality with neighbors. That's worth reflection on, you know, whether we have kids at home or we don't. Mm -hmm. um, just this question of uh, how can we serve the Lord in, in our home, in, right where we're living, the setting that mm -hmm. God has divinely led us to, to be in. And uh, one last question here is just, and then our church. Mm -hmm. You know, how can we serve the Lord? Especially, you know, we're not... We're not coming to the church building yeah. right now, but how could we serve um, the Lord, um, serve our church yeah. right now? You know, I've been blessed time and time again by the ministry of encouragement from others. You know, this is something that everyone can be doing right now, whether it's through text, email, Facebook, or a phone call. We can ask how people are doing. We can send words of encouragement to people. We can send scriptures. We can just tell them that we're thinking about them and praying for them. 
You know, Hebrews tells us that we need daily encouragement. It says to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So this is something we need daily. And this is something that all of us can be doing right now. It, it is truly a ministry to encourage others. And that's, you know, even exactly what we see Paul doing. Like he's writing a letter, hmm. right? They're not together. And he's, right, he's, he's staying in touch. He's keeping up this fellowship, this encouragement as he writes and sends this letter to the Philippian church. Well, we, um, we want to wrap this up and um, we want to encourage us all to keep going on in this Philippian study and uh, to remember today that in Christ Jesus, you are a saint and you are a servant of Christ. Mm. And whatever setting he has put you in, wherever you live, whoever's in your home, the Lord has led us there um, to serve to serve him in these days. I want to remind us all to uh, look forward to Saturday to, to find the next PDF, the next study page that you can print off. And then the following Wednesday, we'll be back here again with another one of these podcasts to review that study. And so, um, and also for kids, uh, we hope that if you have kids at home, that they're enjoying the kids page. We hope that it's sparking really good discussion as uh, parents and children are going through the same material together. Well, I want to just close our time in prayer, and then uh, that'll be it for today. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we want to ask today that you would grow us as your servants, that we would value your kingdom, your, your glory, and your will above all things. We want to thank you that in, the, in Christ Jesus that you have made us saints. You have qualified us to share in the kingdom of God. And we want to ask that you would help us to live a life that is worthy of this calling. We ask you, Lord, that you would open up the hearts of people around us to, to, to receive the gospel, people like Lydia, and that you would direct us to them. And we pray that you would open up those hearts of unbelievers in our life uh, to the gospel. Thank you for this time that we've had now, and we want to say all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.